Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. The Leadership Learns podcast brings you inspiring stories from diverse global leaders from a range of different organizations and industries on how they innovate and improve to become the best possible leader. With me today is Lisa Howe. Lisa is COO and Executive Director at Bidstack, an in-game ad platform bridging the gap between gamers, game developers, and advertisers, and oversees the day-to-day operations of the business, working closely with the management team on strategy, corporate, and business development. Before Bidstack, Lisa worked at FTSE 100 company WPP, where she led investor relations and was also a qualified chartered accountant. Lisa, welcome. Thanks so much for being with me. And the question that I always ask to kick things off is, how on earth have the last 12 months been for you? Morning, Pete. Thank you so much for having me on um, the podcast. It's a real pleasure. And um, I've really enjoyed preparing for this. And I'd say, you know, the last 12 months has been a significant change personally. I joined Bidstack, which is one of the UK's most exciting tech businesses. You know, it's a role that I joined starting as Chief Strategy Officer, which evolved to chief operating officer within you know, probably about three to four months. And most recently, you know, it's just stepped up to the, the board as an executive director. So in terms of strides, it's been you know, very significant and exciting for me. It sounds like a pretty busy time. And I think one of the things I'm looking forward to is hearing in, in some detail about that transition, because your background and how you've got to where you are is one of the things I always like to, to give listeners for context, Lisa. And um, it's fair to say that starting off as a graduate with KPMG and working for PwC and working for WPP, you're now in, with Bidstack in, a, in a, that kind of startup world, which is completely different to where you've been before. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind just giving the listeners a, a bit of context of how you've got where you've got to so far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, I've spent the bulk of my professional life now in um, in London. So you know, I was born and bred in, in Sydney. I studied in Sydney. My, um, you know, university I attended was um, University of Technology in, in Sydney, where my degree was in business, majoring in accounting and finance. You know, I was very fortunate to land a graduate program at KPMG at the time where I trained to be a chartered accountant. You know, this led to a transition to PricewaterhouseCoopers where I took up the opportunity to second to, to London as well. And, you know, at that point in time, it was very exciting to be at the centre of the universe, you know, particularly for financial services as well. And I'd say that my time at these two accountancy firms really strengthened my financial acumen. Um, and that led to the opportunity um, to move on to be an equity analyst at Librem, which is a UK brokerage firm. And then led to um, the opportunity at Jefferies, which is um, a U.S. investment bank, where I led my own team in media and, and internet. So, you know, from that perspective, building upon financial acumen, it was really strategic thinking. And it's not very often, you know, that a 25-year-old gets to ask a, a FTSE-listed CEO about his company's performance. So that's something that, you know, I it became you know, second nature to me and working with the world's most impressive management teams um, was something that, you know, I had privileged access to. There seem to be some people in life that have got a grand master plan of what they want to do. And you're starting out as that chartered accountant background, Lisa, with your business degree. Was it always 
very much the plan where you wanted to get into senior leadership at some point? Was that the aim? Was that the ambition? Or is it? Have you have you got to where you are almost uh, in, in quite an organic way? How, how's that all ended up? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's you know at the time it probably felt like opportunities presented itself to me, but the reality is they were all deliberate moves. If I think about you know the conversations that I've had with mentors and also being aware of the evolution in the market and also being receptive to others as well. So, you know, I'd say um, something that I've been really proud of is always showing up and delivering more than what's what's expected. And what led to the role at WPP was during my time as an equity analyst where, you know, I was traveling a lot. I was just off the back of a very successful conference with the management team from WPP in in New York. And shortly after, they approached me to join the investor relations team. And at that point, I didn't feel ready to leave my exciting role at at Jefferies. But the opportunity um, to work with Sir Martin Sorrell was a key driver of my decision. And I did speak to a good friend of mine who said to me, you know, it's not a dish that comes twice around a sushi train. So it was something that I grasped with with both hands. And, you know, I've worked at WPP for about four years. And when I wasn't um, preparing for earnings or on the road meeting investors, I was out there learning um, from the founders of the agencies that were part of the group because it was very entrepreneurial in terms of the culture. And I think that's where the plant, the seed was planted in my head in terms of what really drives these people and you know they have so much stamina and they're so excited about what they do and you know I'd say that's probably when it started to impress on me that you know I wanted to to move from a strategic role to one where I was executing operating and leading as well so that was a few years ago so it has taken time to get to to where I am. It's a really fascinating thing that you say there Lisa because actually we talk about it a lot in our business of of your team being reflective of what you're like as a leader. And, and for, for I think they they're probably at the time had 100,000 employees, WPP, right? But such was the draw of Sir Martin Sorrell, who has got an incredible background when you, when you, everything that you read up about him. I know he's done some interviews this week that I've been watching with interest as well with, and, and his S4 capital move. It, it really does answer some questions, uh, does, does make us all step back and think, which leader am I working with? What am I getting from that leader? What am I, what am I learning? And, 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 and do I believe in what they're trying to trying to make and create? Doesn't it? It's um. Have you have you often found that the leader, the people that you've worked with, that's that's a key part of your decision making process, Lisa. It, like, is, is the who you're working with? Absolutely. I mean, you know, whilst I was an equity analyst, I was essentially running my own franchise. So you are working for yourself and running your own, essentially your your P and L. So from that perspective, it is entrepreneurial. And then working for Sir Martin Sorrell, it was working for a founder. CEO, and that is, you know, one where you're really sitting on on the edge of your seat. You're not a spectator. You're really, you know, contributing um, to to the business. And you know, obviously, there were management changes at the business. There was a period of uncertainty, and in fact, you know, it was actually where I really thrived. Once the dust settled, you know, I was really confronted with the feelings of, you know, what am I going to do next? I'm ready for my next opportunity. I'm feeling a little bit complacent and, and comfortable and I was used to really contributing and, and making a big impact um, to the management team. So you know, that's where it was a period of time where I took stock, 
and reflected. And it just happened to be, you know, almost at the beginning of, of a global pandemic. So the timing of it was, was frightening. But I found what really helped me get through that was reaching out to, to my network as well and, you know, being honest about how I felt and reassured that, you know, I'm not the only one, you know, that feels like you're a bit uncertain despite, you know, building up a track record in, in what you're doing, a, a network globally. You know, I always felt that it would be smooth sailing, but the reality of it is that you know, everyone is is looking for that stretch target and, and that's what I was confronted with. That's why I was really looking forward to having you on as a guest, Lisa, because you've worked for some of the biggest businesses in the world. And all of a sudden, 12 months ago, you do a, a complete shift and change and get into a a role with a very like fast, rapidly expanding business, which is, it looks to me like it would have been very much out of the comfort zone. And I just yeah. wonder, not from a, a human perspective, of course, but when there's such a sizable global event that occurred, do you think that that was a, the front and center reason that made you take a step back and a different viewpoint on things and give yourself such a drastic new challenge? Do you, do you link it directly to, to, to the pandemic starting? Yeah, Pete, the way that you framed it just makes me you know, even more confident in my decision that I made 12 months ago, because what I did was quite bold, you know, I took a plunge into cold water is basically, you know, how I would describe it, because yes, it was out of my comfort zone. I mean, you know, being um, in a leadership role, um, you know, managing a team was something that um, I hadn't done before. So it it took a few meetings um, with the founders at Bidstack, James and Fran, you know, I was really invigorated and energized by them. They are very young and and ambitious. And I really felt that, you know, I could work very closely with them. And I was excited, you know, not only with work working with founder CEOs, but also the opportunity to to scale globally as well. You know, we've been a beneficiary in many ways because gaming is, is a medium that has grown during um, social distancing, you know, it reaches a third of the world's population. And in many ways, um, you know, what we do, our ad format has actually, you know, accelerated in terms of awareness from, from, from advertisers, agencies, and also game developers. So it was actually a period of, of when we were dealing with a lot of um, inbound commercial opportunities. The difference with working in a startup founder-led business compared <laughs> to a big corporate. Just give me give me the give me the the, the, the size of the of the learning that's happened and what, and what the differences you found. Yeah, I mean the learning was really on on my side and that's because Google Hangouts was a thing before the pandemic. So, you know, the whole team were already used to using um, you know, video calls and I watched the corporate world really struggle with that, you know, in the very early couple of months. I mean, how do I turn my camera on? I'm on mute. My team, you know, the average age is probably under 30, they're, they're digital natives. So the transition was actually quite seamless for us as, as a company. So it was mostly my leadership perspective, you know, how do I keep everybody connected? And um, and that was really reflected through, you know, weekly calls that we did just to update the team on the priorities and also celebrating the wins. I mean, I think it was quite difficult to celebrate, you know, some of the great work that we were doing if we were all um, apart from each other. And you know, bear in mind, like we have like a collaborative working space um, in Hackney Week. So it's here east and it's the esports hub for, for the UK. So you know, I've been pretty excited about, um, you know, everyone starting to, to come back because we are a knowledge and intensive company and, you know, we all benefit by 
being together and innovating cross-functionally. Is, is, there, um, is there much in-person stuff happening now, Lisa, or is it still 100% remote? How, how are you guys currently sitting? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that given that it's, it's quite a young workforce, I've, I've noticed that more and more have been coming in to reconnect with, with the mothership. And, you know, I think that's great. And we have a great culture. There's, you know, a gaming lounge where everyone catches up and also there's a great culture in terms of you know getting together after work as well so really glad to have that back on absolutely yeah i think you speak for a few people and it's uh the, the ability to have a conversation that doesn't involve substantial pauses where someone's connection isn't quite as strong yeah. is uh i think everyone's utterly uh, utterly finished with that feeling that's for sure how have you over the years, Lisa, made sure that you're, con- you're not too comfortable for too long? How do you make sure that that comfort zone is being reached out? Because I think with the day-to-dayness, and especially with home-based work, it's very easy just to be getting on with things. And actually, that reflection time mm-hmm. can be very, very important. How do you make sure that you're never too comfortable for too long? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that throughout my career, it's probably indicated it's, it's time to to move on to greater responsibility or, or the next role. I mean, if I think of the the skill sets and, and the competencies, it's really been refining and preparing myself for, for the next one. And, you know, I'd say that over the years, I've gotten very comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. It's probably a signal to myself that um, there's I'm evolving as a person and also developing professionally as well. So there is you know, I would reflect on that and see that as an incubation period. Have you, um, do you have people outside of the working world that you use to kind of bounce ideas off? Lisa? I know people do things in different ways and learn in different ways, but it's been interesting on this series so far, hearing how different people make sure that they do have that semi-regular place or person to stand back and just do some reflection on. How, how does that work for you? Yeah, I've been really fortunate in in the sense that, you know, the roles that I've been in has been actually um, highly social and connected to individuals as well. So, you know, during my graduate program, it was building out your initial network of work colleagues, you know, with equity research, it's building out a global network of investors and, and corporates as well. And also the peer group, you know, and that's a nice way of highlighting my, my competitors and really everyone's paths eventually crosses. I mean, I've seen that happen over and over again. So I've been really fortunate. I'm very receptive to others and curious to, to what they do. And I think that's really important because, you know, if you tend to speak to, you know, the same people, you're not really going to get a broad range of ideas and you tend to stay in the same vertical. So I think for me, you know, that's really helped me propel me to, to where I am today. Talk me through the challenges of that in the last 12 months. Yes, I mean, I'd say from from my personal perspective, my stretch target for this role is around leadership. For me, the challenge is um, making sure that I'm working close enough with each individual and understanding what motivates them as well. And even more so whilst we're all, we were working remotely and, you know, just to keep everybody on the journey as well. And I think, you know, that's been a duty of mine and setting each individual up for success as well and understanding that there are there's a myriad of, of skill sets that I can work with and you know aligning each person to objectives and building a culture of performance has been a challenge but also rewarding as well how someone can ever master a COO position I'm not sure because you can't be great at everything right and there's 
with all of us, there's stuff that we're naturally good at and there's stuff that we're not naturally strong at that we have to work on. How do you go, how have you gone about that, Lisa? Because going into that fast paced growth, you know, high growth company like Bidstack is, and having to one, get up to speed with the way that they do things, secondly, make it your own, but thirdly, be aware of your own shortcomings and things you want to work on. How's that whole journey been over the last 12 months? Because it must have must have been the steepest of learning curves, right? During my first couple of months, it was a listening tour for me. And I was very open to you know listening to each person's perspective and understanding the history as well, because obviously that's how I'm going to you know learn more about the business. And recognizing your core competencies is is really important and also being open to learning. Um, about others as well. So for example, you know, at Bidstack, it's really around how impressed I am with the product and the developers as well that's based in Riga and Latvia. And that's been, you know, a challenge for me because I haven't been able to get out there and, and spend time with them like I have with the, the London team. I sit in the trenches, you know, with the commercial team and, you know, really roll up my sleeves and get really excited when deals get signed on the on the brand side and also on on the game developer side, it's a real win for me. Stepping back when you began the role, probably a really, really tough thing to do in listening and just absorbing as much as you can for as long a period as possible. That would not come naturally to me. And I think, is that always something you've been very good at, Lisa? Have you always been someone that's been able to be kind of patient and like do things in the right way? Or is that something that you've developed as your career has gone on? You know, I'd say it's something that I've developed as my career has gone on. I mean, I probably have been quite impatient and by doing so I probably missed some really key indicators. So this is something that you know I wanted to be really careful about as well particularly because it was my first management role. And in many ways it was multitasking, you know, the areas where I knew I could add the most value that's where you know I really doubled down and in areas where I needed to upskill and and learn. It's it's two-way flow. I mean, to be heard, you need to be able to understand, you know, each individual person as well. I feel like from a business and working perspective, one of the great things that has come out of all of this is that everyone feels a bit more human again. Everyone feels that they don't have to put on their brave face. It's okay to say that things are tough. And as I do with my team, I'm the one that makes the most amount of mistakes regularly because our ethos is empowering people to succeed. I've been saying to people a lot, but I've, you're really empowered. To, you've got to be empowered to fail as well. You, you, we, we can't try to be perfect. We, 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 we've got to be, as you say, if we're able to show our teams that I'm flawed, <laughs> I'm going to want to work on this, and actually it really is okay to fail, I think that can really help to foster an environment of trust. I'm very transparent, and I think that that helps. I mean, I own up to um, mistakes that, that I've made and want to know how I can be better as a leader, and, and that's something that um, I can say has been an area that that's really developed for me. How do you make sure that, your energy is being spent on things that you enjoy and you're naturally good at and not just on things where it's like, sorry, I've messed up again, sorry, I've messed up again, because that can be really energy sapping, can't it? How do you make sure that balance exists? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say I was someone that um, writes out a list of priorities because um, that will be a good way to kind of measure. I've spent a third of my time here and a third of my time here and, and over here as well. It's probably important to have those relationships with your team members to be able to, to lean on each other and through collaboration, I'd say, and, and creating that safe environment. Make sure you've got that constant reflection yeah, and, and, and constant new ideas and, 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 and focuses on, on that type of thing. And I guess that's a, 
it's a, it's a similar approach to what you're what you're proposing there, isn't it? It's making sure that it's not just very rigid format. It's a case of no, no, let's let's mix things up. Let's make sure there's a lot of collaboration going on. So that sounds a sim- similar mindset, actually. Is there one or two things that have happened? to you lisa that's helped you grow and improve as a leader are there any one or two areas that stand out to you that was like a bit of a wow moment um i mean i'd say um it's been um past six months just really watching the fundamentals of the business strengthen and flourish and a lot of that has to do with the talent that uh, we brought in in the past six months as well you know we're at a size where each individual makes a significant impact and the business is at a stage now where we're attracting great profiles from tech companies, AAA game developers, uh, you know, strong ad tech backgrounds, and also you know a bit of a wild card here and there because that's always exciting to, to throw in into the mix. But um, I've been really proud of, about the team that we've built up in, in the past six months, and you know the conversion and the payback is really coming through. I couldn't agree with you more in relation to when you're in a a smaller high growth environment, every hire has the ability to be very positive. But of course, like all of us, I haven't met a human being or at least uh, heard anyone that would claim to be um, the perfect hire that always gets hiring right. How challenging is it in a startup environment where it's fairly obvious in the first few weeks that, oh, I think I might have not made the best decision. Maybe this person isn't isn't best suited for out what we're doing right now. How challenging has that been for you as a leader over the last 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I'd say um, as a team, we are very collaborative when it comes to hiring decisions as well and you know, not to come across like we're a cult. But um, it's just that we, we try to build up a consensus um, because we, we do want to foster an environment of um, you know, cross-functional working relationships as well so you know the candidates do have to go through a thorough process you know working through a a business plan as well so we can assess on the value that they can bring on on day one and I guess from personal attributes it's really screening for you know desire to be in um, a scale up a business you know of our size and also the opportunities it brings I mean it's a career-defining move for, for each person that that joins the business. So I guess screening for that tenacity, grit, and um, drive would be um, you know the core attributes that we would look for as well. On top of I guess you know what we see on their their CVs. What do you think is the main difference between hiring for a massive multinational like your KPMG or PwC compared to a startup? Because I've I've worked with plenty of startups over the years that say, Pete, please don't show us anyone from big business because often they're just unable to adapt to what a startup yeah. requires. Give me a little bit of your thoughts around that, Lisa, because you've experienced it from a, you know, from a personal perspective yeah. as well. So. No, I, I would agree with that. And it just comes down to the culture of being um, at a scale up, you know, it's immediacy, urgency, and desire to, to succeed ASAP. So that's the way I would frame it. And it would attract people that feel comfortable being uncomfortable. All the, all the businesses that we've placed with and worked with over the years the reality is I think in startup environments, it's even more important for someone to have a growth mindset as opposed to that fixed mindset where people know that the job they're doing, that's all they want to do. You've got to be able to turn your hand and be, as you say, willing to roll those sleeves up because you never, some days there'll be some weeks where you're just firefighting. There's things that are coming up that you didn't have planned and you just got to get on with it, right? And I think people sometimes struggle to go from big business to small business where it's like, well, that's not part of my job description. What as a leader requires more regular attention or effort from you, Lisa? What I'm guilty of is actually probably not taking enough time off. And that probably affects my team. So 
that's something I'm quite eager to do um, in in the coming months. So, um, you know, and, and I do encourage, you know, the team to take some time out because, you know, as we just talked about, being at a scale up is is one where there are so many, you know, everything seems to be a priority as well. And I think taking time away to, to recharge. I'm really, really conscious that if, if people see me working 15-hour days and never taking time off, mm. that's the that's the example that people follow. And I think it is one of the big things from a leadership perspective is that all of us need to be really, really aware of like the example. The exam- what we do is going to be the example for the rest of our team. So, um, and, and I couldn't agree with you more in relation to the importance of just stepping back, one, to recharge, but secondly, for perspective. And um, I, I, I think there'll be quite a few listeners that will be thinking, crikey, yeah, I definitely fall into that category. It's about having that balance, but also um, really excited about your job as well. There's a thousand things to do and you want to do them all yesterday. And mm-hmm. and therefore, sometimes we all feel that bit guilty for like taking that time off. We're like, well, should I really be taking that time off? And the reality is absolutely you should. And even when I was 22, 23, I, remember I found that lovely formula, whereas at least if I had a very relaxed week every three months, I could keep that effort and energy at a nice consistent level without that feeling of like stress and pent up pent up you know where you're not doing your job as well so um yeah i think that's a challenge a lot of leaders face that's for sure i know we 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 certainly do here too learning has got to be at the heart of what a great leader does in my opinion if you're constantly keen to learn i think you're always going to be in a fairly good you know growth 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 place that's for sure any books or podcasts that you've kind of taken long-term learns from Lisa that you could share with the listeners? I was able to dig up a book of mine, which was kind of like at the back of my bookshelf, but it's The Social Animal by um, David Brooks. And, you know, I read this a few years ago and it's made such a lasting impression on me. And, um, you know, I'd say um, the um, review by The Economist on the front cover pretty much sums it up. A fascinating study of the unconscious mind and its impact on our lives. And, you know, I think it goes back to, you know, your question, you know, about my career, you know, I'd love to sit here and say that it's a series of serendipitous events, but it really is about dreaming big um, because that turns into a reality. And I'd say it's really been a function of the goals that I've set for for myself. And I think this is a really nice message, um, you know, to pass on because it just shows that everyone has control of their destiny in terms of you know other um podcasts or it's not so much a podcast but it's called masterclass it's quite similar to um a netflix subscription um it's where you can learn from the world's experts uh, little tutorials and you know that's how i'm going to relax in the library i've got um a japanese cooking class and also learning more about anna wintour's leadership style so that's how i'm spending my time do you build that into your working week or is this your downtime <laughs> i mean masterclass would be um weekend downtime and then other than that it would just probably mean catching up with friends and, and doing yoga absolutely i heard a really interesting thing um on i've just got to the end of uh the book radically candle by kim scott which i found that was absolutely fascinating uh, a fascinating read. And, and in there, she gives the example of a CEO who makes sure that he has two hours each day, every day that never gets booked over of reflection time. And he often just sits there looking out the window because that was his methodology to be able to make sure that he's doing things from the right angle, doing things right perspective and keeping things in balance. And uh, although I know that I've struggled to get two hours a day specifically set aside, I think there's a really good lesson in that. And he was a he was a CEO of one of the big technology beasts um, in the US. And I think that's a good lesson there to make sure that 
in the working week, sitting back and just reflecting that should be built into things. It shouldn't always be stuff that has to be done outside of traditional working hours, you know. So, um, yeah, those are interesting things. How big a challenge has it been to create culture and a, a combined vision and purpose during the last 12 months? Surely it's got to be the most challenging time in history to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it has been a challenge. And you know, I'd say it would require, um, you know, commitment, um, particularly for me to, to reach out to each individual as well, to check in with them and, and have compassion and empathy, because, you know, you can't see exactly how everyone is, is coping. So, you know, I'd say, um, you know, that's been something that you know i've had to really make an effort right final question lisa favorite restaurant or bar to spend an afternoon relax and reflecting in pete you'll have to come join us it's four quarters by um hackney week so just right underneath the the office and right by the canal and you know when the sun's out there is no better place to be thank you so much lisa for sharing your journey and leadership learns with us today i'm sure there's a lot that will resonate with the listeners and like me they'll be taking away some valuable ideas thanks everyone for listening if you enjoyed the episode please give it a five-star rating and share with others in your network speak to you again soon